I'm going to begin my homily this morning with an apology. I apologize to all of you for the weather that we have experienced this week. Yes, I'm sorry because it's my fault because I washed my car last Saturday night. I was driving home from an out-of-town obligation and decided it was as good a time as any to wash my car and detail the interior. For after winter, the interior of my car looked as bad as the exterior. It was time. So last Saturday, my car looked showcase ready, inside and out, beautiful. I vacuumed and washed windows and spit sign polished the whole thing. And I was deeply satisfied with my work, a job well done. As I turned off the garage lights like at 9.30 at night, it was like I was tucking my baby in bed for a night after a nice warm bath. And then came the dreariest week of history. Did you notice? Because I did. Every time I pulled out of my garage, it was at least sprinkling or raining. We live in a rainforest, people. Moss is starting to grow in my arms, and I think I've had the beginnings of webbed feet. Yes, we have been victimized once again by what some people call Murphy's Law, that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. It has rained five, I guess to make that six days out of the last seven, and it happens every time I wash my car. I know what to do during a drought. Wash my car. And on Wednesday, when it didn't rain, I went down south to bless a new medical facility, and when I stopped on the way home for lunch, I parked beside a row of evergreen trees. Didn't realize that they dump yellow pollen all over your car on purpose. I never thought pine trees were evil, but now I know that they are. Then, two birds, not one, but two birds made deposits on my car this week. And finally, I went to a funeral interment at a cemetery, and can you believe I stepped in dog poop? that I didn't realize until I was right in my car with my formerly clean floor mats. I ask you, who leaves dog poop at a cemetery? That is very bad karma. And I thought, seriously, why did I even try to wash this and clean this car? Now, as a storyteller, if I told you just the bland story of that, it wouldn't be funny. I had to contextualize and interpret the events in the context of Murphy's Law, that if it can go wrong, it will. And then you can all laugh at, not with, at Father Richard again. So St. John is not trying to make us laugh in our gospel, but he isn't just a bland reporter of facts either. Not only is he telling the story of the Last Supper, but at the same time, he is taking a rogue group of pseudo-Christians called the Gnostics to task for doing violence to the good news in a way that we would miss if we didn't know the backstory. Today's gospel follows immediately after, of course, last week's gospel, when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, spoke of the intimacy of the relationship that we have with him and the Father. Today's reading extends this teaching to describe the kind of service that Christians are called to offer to others. When, John's gospel, when John wrote the gospel, the early Christian community was being influenced and even threatened by a set of false religious beliefs called Gnosticism, which sometimes permeates the church today. And as, and as he tells the story, 
one of John's intention was to distinguish between Christian belief and Gnostic belief. For example, one of the tenets of Gnosticism was the importance of knowledge or gnosis as the determining factor of Christian faith. It's kind of like the faith of the Pharisees, which sent the message that the only holy people were the ones who knew the tenets of the law, which, of course, excluded the poor, the uneducated, and the lowly, and the illiterate. So in addition to his account of the Last Supper, which he details in his gospel today, he is responding to the Gnostics. Through John's gospel, Jesus affirms that he is, the, he is known by the Father and that his disciples will know the Father by knowing Jesus. In this passage, however, Jesus reminds his disciples that this knowledge isn't the end in itself. No, this knowledge must be expressed in love. Those who know Jesus well, and Jesus says his disciples do know him, will love one another unconditionally. So knowledge must, be, it must necessarily lead to loving relationships, our attempt to build up the community and the kingdom of God. And also Christian action, or we have mixed, missed the mark of what Christianity actually is. John reminds the early Christians that Jesus taught that the love is true, the true sign of discipleship. Even more, a true disciple shows a particular kind of love, and that is sacrificial love. In the Greek, St. John uses two words for love in this passage. The first is agape, the second is philia. The, the word, first word is most often used to describe godly love, godly love that will do something great, like Jesus' suffering and death on the cross for our sins. It is the highest and most perfect kind of love that we can experience in this, on this earth. The second word for love is used to describe the affection of friendship. The root of the Greek word for friend comes from this second term for love, which is philia. By using this word, Jesus transforms the terms of the relationship with the disciples and God and him, and where defines their relationship in a special way. From the Old Testament, faith in God made one a servant of God. But Jesus in our gospel today tells us that this relationship that he has with his disciples is a friendship, not servitude, a friendship. Another aspect of Gnostic belief was that a believer was an elect chosen person set apart from the evil of the world. It is what I would call a prissy kind of thing. No mingling with the dirty little people. But Christians believe something entirely different. That's why we have, for example, the Matthew 25 center behind us. That a disciple has been chosen and sent by Jesus to serve the world as he did. Jesus' disciples were chosen and sent into the world to bear fruit by serving others, by sacrificing for others in love. As Pope Francis challenges the, church, the priests of the church, the shepherd needs to smell like the sheep by walking with them, serving them, 
taking care of them, sharing their joys and sorrows. And we serve as an example to the members of the body of Christ. So this reading is part of the Last Supper discourse, right before Jesus' crucifixion. We read his instruction to the disciples in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. The greatest love ever shown to us. We know that Jesus himself gives us the greatest example and kind of love and service that he teaches to his disciples as he lays down his life for his friends. And that's including us. This is a perfect passage on which to meditate on Mother's Day. For a real mom doesn't only know about motherhood, but they are committed to it. You know, I've known people who teach about parenting that are disasters at being parents. It is most definitely not just about knowledge. It's about getting in the trenches with your children. It is about God's unconditional love and service in the family. Likewise, Christian mothers who are serious about their walk with the Lord don't set themselves apart, but they strive every day to form their children and their communities as God would have them. They love their children as God has loved us in Jesus Christ. So it's perfect work, important work that we acknowledge and affirm today on Mother's Day. We pray for those who long to be mothers, those who are mothers and raising their children today, and those who have completed the task of forming their children, who we often call grandmothers. We also pray for those who spread their maternal love as mentors in a world where children are sometimes neglected, especially in the ways of faith. So may God bless all of you on this day and be assured of the prayers of our community.